Well, good evening to each of you again this evening. It's good to be here again. Hope you had a good day. So has anyone done the theological effort to figure out which is the proper order of that in the Christian life? Anybody want to venture which order you would put those in the Christian life? Behave, believe, or belong. Which comes first? Which comes middle? Which comes last? You're going to venture belief comes first, okay? We all agree with that? Okay? So who wants to venture on the second one? Belong. Belong, okay? Anyone disagree with that? So that puts behave at the end. That's kind of the order I would put it in, I guess. Uh, I just had the question though, so I so is that the way church life works? So if someone wants to come join our church, is that the order we put it in? Believe, belong, behave, or do I, I don't know. I just I don't have the I don't have the answer to that. I just it's just an interesting uh, thought I ran across this week on the way down here. How many of you know what strength to strength is? The podcast. Oh, we have a couple of you. Okay. Strength to Strength is a Saturday morning Zoom meeting at 6 o'clock Eastern Time, every other Saturday morning. Hoover put me up to it, and I got started. Except 6 o'clock Eastern is 5 o'clock Central. And if you want to make coffee and get a cinnamon roll before it starts, the alarm goes off at 4.30. So it's been pretty much my Saturday morning... Uh, it gets me up and gets me, I understand you farmers get up early all the time, you know, but Saturday morning gets me up, gets me going, and this week it would be a good week to sleep in. Uh, but tomorrow, Brother Verlin Yoder from Grove City's on, and he's talking about depression and anxiety. And, uh, and furthermore, I'm the one that gave him his name and said he should talk about that, so I guess I have to get up tomorrow morning at 4.30. <laughs> so listen to Strength to Strength. Uh, if, if you're one who likes to listen to podcasts, it's, it's got some good stuff on there. Uh, just a little plug. I have nothing to do with anything other than I sit and listen on it. So We live in near Rainy River. And uh, Rainy River, there's, there's not too many places in the United States where you can go cast a line into the water and pull out a 60-inch, 70-inch fish. You've got to go to Caribbean or something, you know, and get something big. Uh, I go three miles from my house, and the biggest one I've had is 68 inches and 100 pounds. Uh, I tell people when you get a snag, and then the snag moves, then you know you got it, okay? That's that's the fish, okay? And my wife goes, and she gets all upset when she catches the big ones, because you can, you can only keep them between 45 and 50 inches. And so it's a pretty small slot, and she doesn't she wants to catch a keeper so we can eat it. And if she catches a 60-inch, or she gets upset, here, you pull it in, you know, and we're like, cool, yeah, we'll pull it in, we don't mind. Uh, they're lots of fun. And in the springtime, uh, runs from the, well, keeping season starts April 24th, and runs through May 7th. Same, same dates every year. It always starts on my wife's birthday. That's, that's the way it starts. And, uh, so I like to go a little bit. Um, not as much as I used to, but I, I enjoy going and, and uh, some camaraderie and the boat, the river's full of boats and whatever. 
I came by the gas station here a couple years ago, well, several years ago, and uh, I saw the, a boat pull out of the landing, and he pulled in there to the gas station to get some gas. I thought, well, I'm going to find out what the fishing report's like. So I stopped in. I said, so, so, you, so you've been out fishing. How's the fishing? Well, he says, I don't remember what is, I don't remember how, how the fishing was that day, to tell you the truth. He's like, but you know, he says, uh, he says, I'm also a Christian. I fish for men. He said, are you a Christian? I said, absolutely. Oh, hey, that's kind of cool. You got to be a fellow believer. And he's like, so do you believe that, that once you're saved, that you're like eternally secure? I said, well, no, I wouldn't believe that. Well, what do you mean you don't believe that? He got really abrasive really quick. And I said, well, I was just studying this and I, I think I was going, I think it was this study right here. And I said, you know, there's, there's redemption, but then there's sanctification and there's righteous living. And, no, that, that, there's these verses and they, and he, he, he started, he was just really preaching at me. And I said, so what about, what about Judas? Like, was he saved? Oh, he was never a Christian, you know? And I said, but if, I said, so if you did something really bad, like, could you lose your salvation? He said, I could cut your throat right now and I would still go to heaven. And everyone else starts looking at us, wondering what's going on right now. And I was like, this conversation is going nowhere real fast, you know? So, finally I just kind of graciously said, I said, well, I, I, I tell you what, um, obviously we disagree here and, you know, but, I just challenge you to keep growing in the Lord. You know, wherever you're at, you just keep growing. Holy, oh, this is not necessary. <laughs> I mean, we're we're saved. This is this is it. I, I think he even gave me a tract, and I I thought, and I I went to the website, the church's website, and I just about called the preacher and said, you know, this did not really go so well here. Their their tactics really aren't so gracious. Um, but after looking at the website, I think maybe the preacher would maybe be along the same line. <laughs> that might be kind of their, their tactic. First Corinthians says, But ye are of him in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So we're looking at perfection in Jesus, the reason why we live like we do. And tonight we want to look at the word righteousness there. And and I'm I'm going to tell you what the word righteousness means in this context, and then I'm going to preach a sermon about something different, okay? So uh, we're, we're going to catch the context of that tomorrow night. Um, the context here of this of this word, um, righteousness, actually means justification. Someone want to give me a definition of justification? We have these little cliche things, you know, mercies, things I, not getting what I deserve, grace is getting what I don't deserve, justification is what? Well, the phrase is, just as if I never sinned. That's, that's kind of, not a very deep theological explanation, but that's, that kind of is the gist of it. Justification is, this is the American Tract Society, the being regarded and treated as if innocent, or acquittal from the consequences of guilt before the tribunal of God. Justification by faith means that a person, on account of truth and true and living faith in Christ, as manifested by good works, will be delivered from condemnation on account of his sins, that his sins will be forgiven, and that he will be regarded and treated as if innocent and holy. Even though you have been guilty, you will be regarded and treated as if innocent and holy. Thus, besides the remission of sins and their penalty, it includes the restoration and everlasting enjoyment of the favor of God. So, justification by faith, that's a 
principle of Scripture, and we'll look at how that plays out a little deeper tomorrow night. Um, but that is not my doing. God does that. Um, and we find our right standing because of Jesus Christ. That's nothing I can do. As Dolvin said tonight, it's all about Jesus. Um, it doesn't matter anything I do. It's all, it's all about Jesus, uh, which is true. So were my friends at the gas station correct? Uh, well, there's, there's more to it than that. Um, another word of righteousness, of the word righteousness, um, is that of right living. Um, that of the, the good deeds that we do. Um, and so I'm going to look at that, that portion of the word righteousness tonight, and tomorrow we're going to look at justification. Um, the acts that I do are right. And I would, and I want to emphasize right away, these are not the things that save us, okay? Our salvation is not by works which we have done. These are the result of, of our salvation. Um, and we can have good works even without salvation. We can, we can live pretty good lives. Now, now Western evangelicalism has said that you're saved by simple belief, like my my friends, I don't know if they're my friends, but anyhow, my, yeah, I'll, I'll give them credit. My friends are at the gas station. Um, you just believe and you're saved. And it's, it's one and done. Um, you probably should change the way you live. It'd be a good idea. Um, if you don't, you'll, you'll still make it to heaven. Uh, my dad was friends with a German Baptist man. He said, so, so what would it take for you to go to hell? Well, he said, I can't. Um, I'm saved. I'm, I'm, it's done. Um, just kind of easy believism. Yep, I believe. So Jack Hiles was a a Baptist minister from from Gary, Indiana. He had the at one time he had the largest church in the United States. This is back before mega churches, and uh, they got this church by going door to door and winning souls. Um, that was that that's the way they did it. And so. Uh, each Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher was responsible for the people that he had saved and he would disciple them in their class and they're baptized into church. But it was like six, 7,000 people in this church. And they had uh, all these old school buses belching out black diesel smoke, you know, going around the city picking up the kids. And they were, they were doing the work. They were out saving the lost. Um, but here's, but here's, uh, one commentary I read on it, this, this guy was actually, it went to, Jack Hiles had a, a pastor's school for a while, and this guy was involved in, I believe he learned this from Jack, and he said, so one time they went out and they, they go to the door of this house and they knock on the door, and uh, there's a baby squalling inside, you know, and the mom comes to the door and she kind of peeks out and she's like, I'm kind of busy right now, and they said, well ma'am, ma'am, are you ready to go to heaven? Well... She's like, I'm kind of busy right now. You can hear the baby squall in the background. And I don't really have time. Well, but ma'am, it's very important that you... Are you ready to go to heaven? Well, no, I'm probably not. She's trying to shut the door. Ma'am, don't you, know, you, don't you know you need to be saved? Well, okay, whatever. But I'm busy. Well, ma'am, uh, here, just just let us pray a prayer with you. You know, kind of grabs her hand and she's kind of... You know, here, they pray, sit her prayer with her. There you go, ma'am, you're saved. Now you're ready to go to heaven. And she gratefully goes back in the house and shuts the door. And they went on their way. Chalk another one up. We saved another soul. Not really. <laughs> but that's the way it, it's often looked at. All you got to do is say the words. Leroy Yoder used to say that we as Mennonites either need to change our actions or our theology because sometimes we act like that ourselves. 
we say it. Oh, we've said the right words, therefore we're saved. And um, But we don't live like it. The Bible says that you are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible says. That is that is a fact. Um, Jesus Christ is your wisdom, he's your righteousness, he's your sanctification, he's your redemption. However, those things will change the way you act. They are going to change your, your lifestyle. If your belief doesn't affect your everyday living, then it's not, then you don't really believe it. You know, so if I leave here tonight and I say, okay, everyone going east tonight, that bridge is out down here, you know, just don't go home that way. And you're like, oh, okay, thanks for the information. You jump in your car and you all take off and you pile into the river down there, you know. Well, I told you, yeah, I believed you. No, I don't think you really believe me. You wouldn't have done it. It's when you really believe something, it changes you. You hear, I get some fact, some carpenter fact, and you know, there's some things that. So, 25 years ago, they had these things called air exchangers, and you would stick them in your house, and you would, because you had your house insulated so well that you had to suck in fresh air, and then you blow out the stale air, and it cost like two thousand dollars. And I'm like, well, that's about the dumbest thing in the world, because, um, I mean. Hello. Well, you know what? I had a customer call me the other day, and she's like, I think there's a problem with the new house you just built me this year. There's this moisture on my window. And I said, well, make sure your your air exchanger is running 24-7 this year, for sure this first winter, because you have lots of moisture in your house, and your house is so tight, you got to get this moisture out. I didn't used to... I used to be like, that was some rich guy's idea. And now I'm like, I'm a firm believer in it. Now, if you have a house like Dwight's, and it's 100 years old... It, it exchanges plenty of air. You don't need one of these, okay? You can save your dollars. <laughs> but if you have a new house and, and you have spray foam in it or lots of plastic, uh, it's it's important. And uh, I can tell in my house if, you know, and they're starting to get moisture on the windows, huh? got to get the air exchanger going. I believe it. I do it. And the New Testament is full of passages that speak to the importance of living right, of doing the right thing. So I'd like to look at some of those passages tonight, and I was kind of impressed by the explicit directives for holy living, and it's it's like maybe even a little more than we would be normally comfortable with. Uh, let's start out in Acts chapter 2 with, with Peter. Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they which gladly received his word were baptized the same day and were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common. So we know the verses that my fishermen friends used. Um, for instance, like Acts 16.31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. 
believe. That's that's what it says. Very very clear. Um, how about you tell me what? So what are the three things we say we need to do when you become a Christian? So I already said believe. What else would we say? Confess. Repent. And repent. Okay. So the other verse they would use is that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That's that's true. It's it's in the Bible. Peter here uses the word repent. Now the definition of repent is very simple. It means I'm going this way and I turn around and go this way. That's that's the literal definition of repent. I'm gonna repent. I'm going to turn around and go the other direction. I was following Satan and now I'm gonna follow Christ. Um, it's it's a life changing event. It's, I'm I believe this about building and I repented and now I don't believe that anymore and I go the other direction. Um, Peter did not say simply believe. In fact, he doesn't mention believe at all in this passage. When they ask him what they should do, he tells them repent. Um, it's assumed that they already believe. That, that, that part's already assumed here. But he doesn't use that word. He tells them repent in this passage. But to repent requires an opposite action. It's not just like, oh yeah, I'm, I believe. And go merrily on your way. Um, it's a change of direction. There's good works that follow what you've said. A few years ago I was at the lumber yard and it was kind of a rainy, dreary day and I was coming through the yard and here was a hundred dollar bills in the mud puddle. I thought, oh. So I reached down, got a hundred dollar bill and huh, there's another hundred dollar bill. So now I'm looking around for some more, you know. And I don't see any so I go into the manager of the lumber yard and go back to his office. I said, so Richard, I says, so what's the policy when we find money at the lumber yard? Well, he says, how much was it? I said, does it really matter? <laughs> and I, I knew Richard. I was, I'm, was a good friend with Richard. And I said, well, I said, actually, I, I said, I found $200 bills. Oh, okay. I said, and he understood my, my reason for asking him that. He's like, well, he said, I tell you what, we'll tell the girls at the front desk that somebody found some money, but we won't tell them what you found. And we'll just kind of keep that mum, okay, so that the girls at the front desk actually, uh, Finally got fired for ripping off the lumberyard, okay? So they weren't, they weren't the kind of people you wanted to trust up there. But anyhow, I said, so we won't tell him how much. We'll just, I said, okay. And the next day, he calls me up and says, hey, we found out who had that, who lost that money. He says, actually, it was a, it's a disabled guy from Little Fork, and he actually had $300 bills. And, uh, so he would be very grateful if he could have them back. I said, well, that, I'd be, I'd be happy with that. So I took my $200 bills back in, and, uh, the manager's, He's a twin, and his brother was there, and he says, you know, he says, a few years ago, we had this guy come in and, and apologize. He said, you know, it's about 20 years ago, I was here and I stole the drill. And he said he was a religious man. He didn't say if he was a minister, but he was, he was a very religious man, and they knew him as such. And uh, he says, he, he came in and stole the drill, and he came and apologized for that. And he says, oh, okay, well, thank you very much for telling us that. What are you going to do about it? Well, nothing. They were not very impressed with him. That wasn't really the definition of repentance. Well, I'm sorry, you know, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Um, repentance is is changing. It's being different. When you're when you're a Christian, you're going to change the way you act. Okay, you're you're not going to be the same. So I say when 
people come to Bible school, there's three different kinds of students. There's the ones who come to Bible school and are there to study and learn. So I, there was one guy I know, he came for 12 weeks straight, didn't play volleyball, all he did was study, okay? Uh, I went to Bible school the first two year I went, um, and there was, I don't, I think he was 18 or 19, he couldn't have, I don't think he was much more than that, and he graduated that year, and uh, he had a perfect record, but he ruined it the last week, kind of, sort of. Uh, someone started a water fight Saturday morning, got 6 o'clock, went around, dumped water, and got a water fight started. And this poor brother was in the shower and spritzed some water over on his buddy next door. But due to the fact that, that, that there was this big water fight, anybody who threw water on anybody got in trouble, and this poor guy, he got in trouble. Um, but that was not, you know, he just felt terrible about that. You know, and what he did really wasn't all that terrible. But he, he just, oh, he, you know, he was just burdened by this. Um, so there's some people like that, that are just dedicated, they're there to study. Uh, there was a young guy that when I was teaching one of the first years, and he didn't know if he'd be able to come to Bible school, but he got to come, and he was so glad he could be there, he was trying to get straight A's, and I think he was a poor student. But he was trying, he was doing his best. So that's that kind of student. Then there's some who come to Bible school who are there for the, Social life as well. Like, they want to learn, but they're there for the friends. And, and I don't knock that group either. Um, I say if you're from International Falls, you need friends. So yeah, go to Bible school. That can be part of your reason for going. Uh, we just don't have much social life up there. And you know, what's interesting is, is a number of years ago, we had a, a Sunday evening topic and one of the returned students shared, you know, the things they had learned. We kind of do that there. We get them to talk about the things they had learned at Bible school. And then my dad and I were supposed to share the things that we learned at Bible school. And he went to Rosedale and I went to Maranatha. And both my dad and I said the same thing, that the most valuable thing we got out of Bible school was friends that are still our friends today. And so that's that's valuable. That's good. Um, you know, my daughter's going to Bible school. I expect straight A's. Oh, well, I don't know about that. But, but I expect her to do her best. She knows that's every year when school starts. Okay, now, you know, you don't have to be the perfect student, but you have to have... You have to do your best. That's always the rule of our house. I've been preaching that for 18 years or however long I've had students in school. Um, but you know, I also expect that she's going to have a good time with friends. And that's important. And then the third group of students are those who just come for fun. And uh, they might obey the rules if they're convenient. But if not, they probably aren't going to worry about it. Um, that all they got to do is pass. And maybe they don't even need to pass. I had one student one year, um, we were on him like the night before term papers, well, term papers were due, okay, like, hey, you need to get your term paper in now, okay, goes out and plays volleyball, you know, he just was not, well, you know, I I saw him this summer, and I I couldn't, re- like, I was like, wow, this guy's really impressing me, this can't be the same guy, isn't it, I went and looked back today in my records, and it had to be that guy. It's the only, but he's, he's actually turned out alright. I think he's doing well. Uh, not because of that, by the way. There are, the principals have re- ways to take care of people like that if you don't want, if you don't want to listen. But you know, being a Christian affects the way that you act at Bible school. The kind of student you are at Bible school is, if you're, if you're a Christian, you're gonna obey the rules. There was one year when I was there and there was revival meetings and I, Went forward, and I met with Brother Dan Schrock and dealt with whatever issues. 
And I had to apologize that I have not been doing what I was supposed to be doing here at Bible school. That's what a Christian will do. He will obey the rules. You cannot be dedicated and disobedient at the same time. You cannot do that. You cannot be dedicated and disobedient. Peter said to repent and be baptized. I don't know what your community is here. Ours is predominantly Lutheran. I'm seeing lots of Lutheran churches around here. Is that kind of what you got going on here too? Um, and if you and if you look at our our Lutheran church, um, the things that they have to say are their teaching is generally like it's not too blasphemous. I've been at Catholic funerals. I Catholic funerals make me want to be like George Blorock and get up and say, "Yeah, that's wrong." You know, it makes me want to. Uh, but the Catholic, Lutheran funeral, I can they repeat the Apostles' Creed, and I can say that. Um, But that doesn't really mean that they live any differently. They pretty much live however they jolly well please. It doesn't really make any difference in their everyday life. Our minister that was there a couple, well, several years ago now, he was he was just an ungodly man. And the last, then uh, there was Pastor Irv for a while, and I I got along really good with Pastor Irv. I don't know if his theology was any different, but we we clicked, and it was he was an older man. Um, but the Lutheran view of of the Bible, the Lutheran view of the law is that it is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Okay? So the Bible explains how absolutely terrible we are, right? It gives us the Ten Commandments and it tells us Jesus says this and Jesus says that. And you know what? We can't do it. We can, we can't do this. We can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And so, we're saved by faith, and then we just, we obviously can't do this. This is just a schoolmaster to show us how terrible it is that we need Christ, and then we go on and live our life the way it is. I've, I always learn lots of new and wonderful things about my neighbors when I go to their funerals. You know, I've never been to a Lutheran funeral that, where the person didn't, didn't die and go to heaven. Um, they can be my next door neighbor, and I find out, wow, I didn't know that about them before. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, but you know, Luther himself, was trying to work out his salvation with works. And he was doing all this and doing all that. So he's a Catholic priest. And and so the Catholics are saved by their good works and they're saved by their sacraments. Okay, so we take communion, which is an ordinance. A Catholic, that is a sacrament. And a sacrament is something that brings grace to you, okay? Which is why it's important for a Catholic when you have last rites. When someone's about ready to die, you come to administer last rites so that they can get more grace, so that they can be saved, okay? That's that's the way the Catholic lives. So that's why if you have a really good Catholic, he might go to Mass every morning, or every Saturday morning, or, you know, he's going to go, because the more you do that, the more you bring grace to yourself. And Luther just struggled with this, and he's trying to be saved, and he comes across this passage, and it says, the just shall live by faith. He's like, that's wonderful. Like, I'm saved by faith. Like, I don't have to do all this stuff. I'm just saved by faith. And he just thought that was really great. Um, that's a quote from Habakkuk. And it's that's still the, the foundation of Lutheran theology, is you're saved by faith. And then, you know, the rest kind of goes whatever it is. And, and But he was so strong on that, that he actually called one of the books in the New Testament a book of straw. Anybody know what that was? The book of James. 
Because James says you're saved by works. Or you need to have works too. And he was like, well, no, that's, a, that's, that's foolishness. You can't have that. Uh, turn to James chapter 2. Actually, our, uh, our poor Lutheran church, COVID came along and the preacher was so scared of COVID that she wouldn't come out and have church. And the local people wanted to have church and she didn't want to. And finally, they got her to come. And she's like 33, something like that, single. And she, so she literally, they had, they're in sitting and then she would come in the front and preach and say, now you stay seated until I get out of here. And then she'd escape and they were, they were so mad at her. They were like, if this wasn't our church, like one 90 year old lady, she's, if this wasn't my church and if we hadn't helped build it, I wouldn't be there anymore. Uh, I really want to say, hey, I'll come preach for you, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't. Um, so anyhow, back to James. James chapter 2 and verse verse 14. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth the prophet? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We all know this. This passage, faith without works is dead. Um, we understand and teach that works need to follow our faith. That that's we understand that. We've talked about that here tonight. We understand the <coughs> the test of of works. Verse eighteen. You know, you say you have faith, and I have works. And let me sh- let me show you my faith by my works. By the way, I work it out. Um, we understand that. The devils also believe. But notice the illustration here of, of Abraham in verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. It was imputed. What does impute mean? Impute means to write it down, to put it to your record. So, I don't know how Miss Jess does this in school, but she, if she has a record or not, that, you know, Johnny was bad today, and she marks it down, and he gets a strike. Our kids' club, they have strikes. Um, you do this, you get a strike. You do that, you get your second strike. You know, first strike is what? No snack. No candy. Because you get a piece of candy, that's right. Second strike is no snack. Third strike, you can't come back the next time. Um, you're writing it down. You're imputing it to their account. So notice here about Abraham, verse 23. And it was imputed unto him for righteousness. What was imputed unto him for righteousness? What he did. Verse 24. Ye see then how that by works 
a man is justified. Now, just a minute. What, what do we say justify means? Justify means, let's go back to my notes, to be regarded and treated as if innocent and holy. And Abraham was justified <laughs> by works and not by faith only. Huh. Um, it was written down to his account for righteousness, for doing that which is good. So I would say that if I was if I was going to put everybody in kind of a little box, I would say that our evangelical friends say that we're saved by grace alone. You just believe and and you're you're saved. You're saved by grace. I would say that we're saved by grace, which is absolute. Like there's there's nothing we can do. Okay, there's absolutely nothing we can do. We are saved by grace. It is a free gift of God. However, our works will follow. If, we, if we're sincere. James says, in verse 24, that we're justified, we're made right by our works as well. Not just by faith, but we're also justified by our works, by the things that we do. Um, that's, a little, that's a little stronger than what I, would, than what I probably would have said it. But it's a, it's a two-fold process and it goes together. We believe and we act and they're not... They're not in separate, but they're, they they happen together. We believe and we act, um, and we're we're a little like Luther. We're 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 a little conflicted in that. But it's all about Christ. But it's grace through faith, evidenced by work, and it all comes in this together. Now go to the next passage, uh, next chapter, chapter three, in verse ten, and he uses here the example of of the tongue. Now out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Either a vine fig? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Like, you cannot have the sweet water of the gospel and the filthiness of the world coming out of the same place. Like, you just can't do that. It does not work. It cannot be done. Right living is part of being perfected in Christ Jesus. Now we'll talk we'll talk tomorrow night about how that is progressive and how we learn that, okay? It doesn't all just happen all at one time. But it it does happen. Right living is part of being perfected in Christ Jesus. And I have a this this really happened one time. But I have trouble with young people who are the ones who bring movies to the parties. And they lie to me about it, and they use despicable language, and then they claim that they've been Christians for years. <laughs> uh, I knew too much about this person. And uh, I was around him too much. And I knew the way I lived, and then what do you know? The next thing you know, you hear his testimony. Well, he's been a Christian since he was whatever. Like, uh, really? <laughs> I wonder about that. It's, it's not being evidenced. Um, he wasn't real open about it either. He's... He's the one that uh, took him out for coffee one day. I took one, one of the boys for coffee out in church and, and I said, how are things going? Well, he's not very good. I got some problems. I said, okay, what are you going to do about it? Well, I said, I got to talk to my dad. I never heard what his problem was. I didn't even know what his problem was, but I went and talked to his dad and I talked to his dad later and he had taken care of it. Very good. So I went and after he was done, I called the next guy. Hey, let's go out for coffee. It was like right back to back, you know. So he came down and met me for coffee. So I said, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. So uh, what can you tell me about yourself? Well, he says, you know my name, you know my address. What else do you need to know about me? Oh, 
okay, thank you very much. That's about all the further conversation went, you know. Then he's the one that's causing problems, and well, he's been a Christian for a long time. Something just isn't just something just isn't stacking up right here. If we're going to serve the Lord, we're going to be perfect in our the way we live. We're going to we're going to live correctly. And and let me just put this little plug in here about music. I'm not the expert on music. I don't teach a Christian in music at Bible school. But Dwayne Colvin, some of you may remember, may remember Dwayne. Uh, I, I, he was always Christian as long as I knew him, but he used to play in a, in a rock band in bars. And he told me that they could start a fight at a rock in a, at a bar. And they would, by the way they would play their music, the kind of music they would play, and they would intentionally start a fight. He said they'd be in there playing and they would, they would get everyone just all worked up and they would jerk the cords out of the guitars and run out the back door and let them fight it out. Like they intentionally did that with their music. And then we say, you know what, I can listen to whatever kind of music I want. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> yeah, right. It does. You don't have to believe it or not. It does. Um, I was, one day I was driving down the road and I had this terrible thoughts going through my head. I was like, what? Like, why am I thinking this stuff? Like, this is terrible. And then I realized that the radio was on. I have no clue why I even went to this station. Oh, do you have radios here? I'm sorry if I'm going to offend you, but anyhow. Uh, and, and it was, there was something playing in the background I was paying no attention to that, that was kind of changing my thought pattern and kind of making me wonder over here, okay? I was paying no attention to it. And it was like, well, that's twat. Why do I have that on? Turn it off. It affects us. And, you know, you cannot listen to the devil's music and stay on a spiritual climb. It just doesn't happen. It, I mean, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to like me. I'm not being picky. I'm just saying that's the way it is. It affects you. You cannot be... You cannot live like the devil and expect to live with Jesus. It just, it just doesn't work. Go to Titus chapter 2. This is, this is one of the my favorite verses. And, and what makes this... The reason I, the guy that pointed this out to me, um, his name was Joseph Webb. He has a book on marriage. Not a Mennonite guy, and he preaches, he just right down the pipe. And uh, divorce and remarriage, he's like, if your church is too big, he was in the evangelical church, if your church is too big, don't have a building program. And just have me come in and preach about divorce and remarriage and have your church will leave. They'll blow holes through your walls on the way out, you know. Uh, <laughs> But, but he's, but he's got, he had a really good, he had a really good, really good point here. Titus, Titus chapter 2 in verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. The aged men likewise, the aged women likewise, that they in behave, be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing forth a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorrupt, uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech it cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say to you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This looks like a list of things we need to do. <laughs> old men do this. Old women do this. Young men do this. Young women do this. Servants, here's 
this is what you do. This is this is what you're called to do. Do this, don't do that. I would say it's a list of works. One of my customers told me one time, he said, I used to think Mennonites are really strange. And then he got to know us, and I guess maybe I'm not radical enough, I don't know, but he decides we're not so strange after all. But he told me, you know what, I'm saved by grace. I'm I'm saved by grace. I, never mind, he's divorced, and for a while you never know if he had his wife or his girlfriend or the other girlfriend or the next one that was coming or going. Hey, you know, he just kind of lived that lifestyle. Um, but you know what? He's cool, he's sophisticated, he's kind of high society, but he's saved by grace. He's He just is. And But notice here in um, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So, are we saved by grace? The grace of God that bringeth salvation. That's, that's the way we're saved, is by this grace of God. And this grace brings salvation. So there you go. There's my friend. He's saved by grace. Okay? But then notice what it says in verse 12. This grace that brought us salvation teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So, I'm saved by grace. Well, that's wonderful. I'm glad you are. Look at Titus chapter 2 and verse 12. And then it says right here that that grace that saves you, it's going to teach you how to live righteously and so that you won't do all those things you used to do. It's the same grace. The grace to save you, it's a grace that teaches you. And it's going to change you. Why? Looking, Look at verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify us unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We are to live godly lives. Let the grace of God that saved us, let that grace change us and redeem us from iniquity. That's, that's what he has called us to. Are we saved by works? Absolutely not. Does the world think we are? Well, they, they would accuse us of saying that. Um, they just need to come and listen a little bit. Uh, that's not really what we would believe. In closing, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's here's Paul's writing to, to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. So in other words, you're going to do what you're supposed to do. You're going to live it out. In word, in conversation, conversation is your lifestyle, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, do these things, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, and give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Now, notice here verse 16. Take heed unto thyself, and unto the doctrine. Now I, the word thyself there, I have that underlined and I have that marked down as practice, okay? Thyself. That's the way you live it out, okay? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. That's the principle. That's the teaching, okay? So there, there's two different things here. It's the doctrine, but then it's also the way you're doing it. So take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. The way we live our lives 
the things that we believe affect our salvation. Now, I firmly believe in the security of the believer, and we're going to talk about that tomorrow night. But I also firmly believe that we are called to live out and and live certain ways. And Christ is all about perfecting that. That's his goal. That's our that's what we're looking at this week. We're trying to get from fear to perfect love. We're being perfected in wisdom and holiness and so on. It's not it's not separate from our salvation. It goes along with it. Um, my marriage is not just my vows. My marriage, is, my marriage is the way I live my life with my wife and the way I love her and the way I care for her. And the scripture clearly places our actions as part of our salvation. Hmm. That sounds like a theological incorrect one, doesn't it? But it does. It's very clear. This, this is, this is how, this is what we are to do. And God give us grace as we figure all that out in day to day life. And may God give you wisdom to live righteously in an ungodly world. It is, it's getting worse.